0: I close my eyes and the the lectern and my preaching notes appear in front of me. That's fantastic, that is. Yeah. Was anyone watching? Did anyone see what happened there? (laughs) I've I've been on holiday. uh, been out of it for a couple of weeks, so I thought I'd come back with some really serious theology for you. So here we go. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for arms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. The man went walking and leaping and praising God walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Some of you are thinking I've completely lost it. Some of you were with me word for word and wanted to sing along, didn't you? Serious theology or a Sunday school song, or both. Some of the the stories that moved us the most helped us to understand and to form our view of the world. We heard them as children. We even sang them as children. When our imaginations were at their their purest, when our creativity wasn't limited by science or or logic. I must admit, as a child, I wasn't much into reading. But that changed maybe when I was 10 or 12. It's a, a long time ago now. But that changed. And there was a book. It was called Whale by Jeremy Lucas. There wasn't anything particularly different about that book. It just came at the right hold and it it caught hold. It caught hold in my mind. A world came alive, an an arctic world with a whale called Sabre who faced dangers and overcame the odds to live out his life in the deep blue of the the oceans. And that was it for me. That was it for me. Books became a a must-have It was a a pursuit of adventure, a pursuit of of knowledge. There is something, something incredible about stories. And when it comes to God, I I don't know if you've realised this, but when he wants, when he wants to tell us something about himself, he uses stories. The Bible, it covers history, the history of God's revelation to man. These events, the, the ones recorded in the Bible, they happened, don't be mistaken in thinking when I use the word story it means fiction the Bible is factual it's factual but it comes to us in the form of stories even in Jesus Jesus God revealing himself to us in a human he lived out a story he lived out an adventure and when Jesus couldn't live it out himself he made up a story he made up some fiction for us called a a parable to help us to understand what God meant, what God was teaching us. The good Samaritan, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, incredible short stories that reveal who God is and how we should respond to him, how we should live our lives as a, as a result. You could spend a lifetime lost in wonder at those three parables alone. But but with our Western worldview, we're so scientific, we're so logical, it can cause us to read the Bible, to study the Bible like a, a textbook, looking for formulas, looking for laws, and completely miss the point, completely miss the heart of what God is saying. The Bible is the most captivating, the most compelling read ever. And when we meet in our lives, when we meet the Jesus who lives in the pages of the Bible, the living words, we join him in continuing his story. And we can wake up every morning on a beach beside the Sea of Galilee. Not literally, that would be strange, but we can wake up every morning in our lives and hear Jesus say, come, Come, follow me. So let's rewind. That is the series that we're in, the last session of this. Let's rewind to two fishermen, two fishermen and fishermen. Fishermen are the best storytellers of all. No wonder, no wonder that Jesus called them. He knew that the stories about him would be told and and retold over and over. Two fishermen, Peter and John, unschooled. Very ordinary men who had lived with Jesus, they'd, they'd seen him die, they'd seen him resurrected,'d seen him rise up into heaven. They were filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost. So let's rewind to when these two fishermen were out at the time of prayer and walked into the temple. You can read the story in Acts chapter three, Acts chapter three. Now the birth of something, the birth of something, is often incredible. And this here in the book of Acts is the birth of the church. And it's important that we get the the Jewish background to this. Peter and John were Jews. They were faithful Jews. And now they'd had this, this revelation of Jesus, the Messiah, the coming King, the one that they'd been waiting for. They believed, but most didn't. And that was causing tension. It was causing aggression. And here in Acts 3, one act, one act leads to another act. And what begins, what begins as an act of grace and of healing ends with serious opposition. And it ends with the church being birthed. The church is out on its own. And immediately, immediately it's praying for, for courage. It's fighting for its very survival. So let's Let's rewind and read. In Acts 3, starting in verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. This is where we need to Use our minds and our imaginations. Have them informed by the story, the the scene that's being set. The temple was in Jerusalem and the beautiful gate was probably the popular title for the Nicanor gate. Which was the main and the, the largest gate situated above 15 steps. It was made of the most expensive bronze. It would have been shining, it would have been dazzling in the afternoon sun. The man would probably have been among a number of others, begging. Their voices are appealing to the, to the able-bodied, the, the, the more affluent and, and religious. And he'd been doing this for a, a long, long time. Crippled from birth, he was now over 40 years old. And now, and now his voice this day was heard. In verse four it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. There is something, isn't there? There is something in the look. You know it, don't you, when there is eye contact. Up to that point, you're not sure, are you? You're not sure if that person is, is listening. Are they interested? Do you even matter to them? But with the meeting of the eyes, so much more is communicated. And with Peter and John and the the crippled man, this is what makes it different from anything previous. The emptiness of the years, giving people, giving money to this man. But never, I suspect, ever looking him straight in the eye, making it personal making it about him and not about them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and and praising God. Now, for me, for me, in that second, in that second when Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, in that second, there was power, there was presence, there was an encounter with the living word, there was an encounter with Jesus. And this is where I'm gonna spend most of, of my time Because there are just so many thoughts that go off in my head here. I want to put them under some headings, some headlines for you. So you can follow where I'm going with this. The first is the precedent that was set. The second is what is in our hands. The third is obedience. And the fourth is the butterfly effect. Four thoughts, four Headlines that come from this moment in time where one man, one man encountered the power and the presence of Jesus and it moved me. So I'm praying that one or more of these will meet with where you're at in your faith and God will speak through it. Firstly then, the precedent that was set. Have you got that scene in your head still? Peter and John, on the way to the temple. The crippled man, the, the look that made it personal, Peter's words. The definition, the definition of a, a precedent is an action, situation or, or decision that happened. And it can be used as a, a reason why similar action or decision should now be performed or, or taken. A precedent is something that happened in the past that informs what is gonna happen in the future precedents. Precedents are important. They, they guide us. They mean we don't keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. For me, in what I say and do, especially in decisions, I often ask myself, has, has someone made this decision before? What was the outcome of it? What is the precedent that has been set here? And what precedent am I now setting in my action or in what I say or in what decision I make? But And this is where I'm going here. Precedents can also limit us. They can stop us. They can stop what God could do in the future. What we experienced or heard or were taught in the past could have set an unhealthy or a, a faithless precedent in our lives that we're still living with. We're still living it out because we don't know or we won't allow anything different see with Peter and John and this is what gets me with Peter and John it seemed so natural so natural to take the crippled man by the hand to help him up and see him healed Seemed natural to experience the supernatural and you have to ask why was that and you realize you realize that it was about the precedent that had been set in their lives Peter and John, they only had Jesus. That was their only example of what action to take in a situation like this. They'd lived with Jesus for for three years. He had set the precedent that they were now living out. Peter and John said and did what they'd seen Jesus saying and doing. And for us, the question I'm asking myself, and maybe you want to ask yourselves, is when it comes to faith when it comes to faith, what precedents have been set in our lives. And I'm sure most of them, most of them will be positive, most of them will be true, and most of them will be trusted, but some may not be. And I don't want to be limited by that. I want to get back to the Jesus precedent, the Jesus precedent, the example that he set. And that's what keeps me in the Bible. That's what keeps me in the Gospels. That's what keeps me reading about Jesus. I want to know him, get as close as I can to him. Knowing that what I say and what I do is as close as possible to what Jesus said and did. About, about six months ago, I felt personally challenged here. I realised I was reading books. I was reading books about the Bible. Great books about faith and church and leadership and history and, and so on. They were inspiring. They were entertaining. They were full of important background knowledge and information. I was learning a lot. They were immediate to me. But they had come. They would come in the place of the Bible. And I made an agreement with myself that for the next six months, I would only read the Bible. I'd only read the Bible. Other books would wait, but this couldn't. I had to had to re-establish my consistent and devotional reading of the Bible. It's only an idea, something that God challenged me on. But maybe it works for you and you could set yourself the next season through autumn to only read the Bible. And then maybe, maybe within that, ask yourself the question, what is the Jesus precedent? What example did he set and then in what we say and do in our lives we can get as close as possible to that. If you are if you are into your reading of the Bible at the moment, it's consistent, it's devotional, then don't change what you're doing. This isn't for everyone. But it was exactly what I needed. The second headline is what I have, I give. What I have, I give When Peter and John walked up the the steps to the gate, beautiful, they had nothing, no silver, no gold. Peter said as much in his reply to the beggar. But that wasn't the finish of the conversation. Empty hands, empty hands are often the start of what God is doing in our lives. And as we look at this, I want us to rewind, rewind from Peter and John, rewind back into the Old Testament and to Moses, Moses. In Exodus 4, Exodus chapter 4, Moses was standing in front of a a burning bush, talking to God. Although it sounded more like an an argument. God was asking Moses to go back to his people, the, the Israelites, to go face to face with Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And demand that his people, the Israelites, be set free. But Moses wasn't having it. In Exodus 4. Verse 2, the conversation continues. Then the Lord said to him, the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. I see a certain comedy in that with Moses running away from this snake. It's a good way to finish an argument. The connection... The connection with Peter and John, the connection with where this is going is the question that God asks. What is that in your hand? And in my own life, that question has often been there for me. In my early 20s, when I made faith personal, when I committed to following Jesus, I could play saxophone. I was no John Coltrane, but that was what I had in my hand. And being someone who was An introvert and very self-conscious playing in the worship team gave me a voice. It gave me an expression of my faith. I could also do children's crafts probably too many hours watching Blue Peter. So I got involved. I got involved on on a Friday night with children's activities. And it went from there. Giving to God what was in my hands. And being ready if God asked me to let go of something. And that is that is all of us here. And I want us to look at our hands. Look at our hands. I know mine is something of a, a running joke when I'm preaching, they become somewhat uncontrollable, like every word has an action. You should see me on my mobile. <laughs> but, but don't mind that. Don't mind that. Look at your own hands. Open them and, and close them. Really, they are masterpieces. Look at your hands. Not many of you are looking at your hands. Look at them. (laughs) They are masterpieces. They are created by our creator. Created to do his will. Now let's ask ourselves that question. What is in our hands? What is in our hands? What are we giving for God? Many of you are already giving so much, but let's keep our hands open to what God is saying. Is there anything that he's speaking to you about? Is there a a fullness, a fullness in your life? And God is saying, Give that. Is it giving time to children, to young people, to the vulnerable, to the elderly? Investing, inspiring, caring for? Is it leading maybe a a life group, growing a, a community of believers together? Is it financial? Giving beyond what you've experienced before. Look at your hands. And listen for the Spirit. It may not be in the big picture, but in the detail that God speaks to us. Now let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. God, I pray as you ask that question to Moses, what is in your hands? God, I believe that you're asking that to all of us now. Lord, so much is given to to make this church happen. (laughs) And yet, I think you still ask us what is in your hands. And Lord, for each of us here, where we have a fullness in our lives, where there is something that we can give. Lord, I pray you'd speak to each of us now. Lord, through your spirit, Lord, and we'd have open hands and be prepared to give whatever you're asking of us now. And Lord, I pray that you'd continue to ask that question in the coming days and weeks. What is in our hands? And whatever that is, we'd be prepared to give it for you, God. Because you gave everything for us. Amen. What was remarkable, what was remarkable about Peter and John is that they didn't have anything in their hands, only Jesus. And they gave that. They spoke in the name of Jesus Christ, and the crippled man, he walked. See, sometimes we're so conscious of what we do not have, of what we can't do. And God may be saying, we have Christ, we have Christ Jesus in us, what more do we need? Oswald Chambers, that great devotional writer, he wrote this, he said, we are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. He also wrote this, we have to take the initiative where we are, not where we have not yet been. This is about, this is about the here and now. This is about us. God has uniquely formed each of us to live out his plans and his promises within this community. We all have a place here that God intends us to fill. And we need to be giving away, we need to be giving away what God is doing most in us, that fullness in us and our hands. Our hands are never empty because we have Christ and that is the most important gift that we can ever give our very lives lived out following and speaking about Jesus Christ after Peter after Peter had helped the crippled man to his feet the man began to walk and then as he entered the temple uh, the temple courts he was jumping and he was he was praising God and like the the people in the story Like the people in the story, when I read this, when I imagine myself there, my reaction is wonder and amazement. I would have been with the crowd. I would have been with them wanting to get a better look at what had just happened. And then we get Peter's response. He said, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Sometimes, sometimes, and imagining myself there with the crowd having seen someone get healed, we can connect the power, we can connect the the godliness with the person themselves. They are the success. But Peter was quick to speak into this. It wasn't about him, it wasn't by his power, it wasn't by his godliness. It was Jesus. It was for his glory that this man was healed. And sometimes we do that, don't we? We can see other people, we can see other Christians and they pray and people get healed. And they pray and talk about their faith and people get saved and we can see them, that Christian, we can see that person as the success. And by implication, we can see ourselves as something of a a failure. It never seems to happen for us. No one healed, no one saved. And I am amazed, I am amazed at the story I'm amazed at how for Peter and John it seems so natural for them to to reach out their hands and and the crippled man to be healed and to walk again and I want to see that I want the 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 faith to to be able to do that but I don't think that the the language of success or, or failure is helpful to me it isn't helpful in this I don't think it's what God is looking for where I'm at on this is Obedience, obedience. Asking myself in this moment in in my life, with what I know of Jesus, with what God is speaking to me, am I being obedient to that, to God? Am I being obedient to his word? And the most important work, the most important work that is, is going on is Christ being formed in us. It's who we are becoming And really the the true test of our obedience to God isn't what happens in the extraordinary moments of life. As much as we desire these, as much as we have faith for these, faith for seeing people healed, faith for seeing people saved and the supernatural happening around us, the true test, the true test of our obedience to God is what we do during the ordinary times when nothing tremendous or exciting is happening. It isn't about success or failure. Living this Christian life isn't about success or failure, but being obedient, obedient to God and living the ordinary life with the extraordinary Jesus. People had run to the scene. A crowd had had gathered around Peter and John. Peter had begun to preach it wasn't about them. They weren't gods or, or holy men this was all about Jesus and it was by faith faith in the name of Jesus that this man had been made strong that this healing had happened heads were, were turned even the priests and the captain of the, the temple guard and the Sadducees had, had come over to Peter and John there is something something that you may have, have heard of it's called the, the butterfly effect the butterfly effect And it's related to the work of Edward Lorenz and it's based in chaos theory. It is the idea and it is relevant to this. It is relevant. The idea that a butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the world could with its motion of the wind cause a hurricane on the other side of the world. You don't have to agree with that. The science doesn't matter here. I don't understand it either. But what does matter is the idea, having the picture of a a butterfly and a hurricane in our minds. For Peter and John, for Peter and John, one act led to another act. They were seized and put in jail, but many who heard believed, and the number grew to about 5,000. They were brought before the rulers and elders and, and teachers. The high priest was there, and they had to answer questions. Again, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached to them. Peter and John were threatened to to keep quiet, but they refused and they said that they couldn't help speaking about what they'd seen and heard. Peter and John, those two disciples, those two fishermen, they'd flapped their wings. And with the Holy Spirit, a hurricane swept through the temple, through Jerusalem. One act led to another act, and the church was born. Our lives have significance. This church here has significance. I don't know if you can relate to the butterfly. At times, I really can. We may feel small, delicate, even. But if we keep flapping our wings, who knows what the effects will be? God knows, it may be a hurricane. And we may never get to see or hear about the effects that we set in motion with our words and actions when we flap our wings. It could be years down the line or thousands of miles away that someone tells a story about something that we said or did. It could have seemed very ordinary at the time, but it was inspired by the Spirit. It was inspired by the work of Jesus in you and you. You flapping your wings, reaching out in the name of Jesus, change their life forever. We're getting to the finish now, to the finish. And there is a a scripture, something that doesn't really fit with me, but I'm going with it anyway. In Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 verses 19 to 20, Paul wrote this. He said, speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am no singer. You wouldn't want me giving you my version of Psalm 23. You wouldn't want that. You'd think I was being weird or needing some time off. Even though, even though that doesn't fit with me. There is something in this scripture We started with a song, a Sunday school song. And it's been speaking to me over some time. It's what I wanted to speak to you about. And I get the opportunity to, to do it from here. And it's something that we can all do. We can all do this. We can all listen out for God. We hear him in Psalms. We hear him in hymns. We hear him in spiritual songs. We hear him in the Bible, in creation. We hear him in our hearts. You can sing it if you like. You can speak it if you like. Whichever. As long as we're listening out for God in our lives. And as long as we're speaking that out into other people's lives. That is what church is all about. A community of faith. Growing together. Growing closer. This is is serious theology. Peter and John went to pray they met a lame man on the way he asked for arms and held out his palms and this is what peter did say silver and gold have i none but such as i have give i you in the name of jesus christ our lord in jesus name rise up and walk and the man went walking and leaping and praising God walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord in Jesus name rise up and walk